Hello and welcome to The Rate Debate. I'm Darren Langer, co-head of fixed income at Yarra Capital, and joining me today is my co-head of fixed income, Roy Keenan. Hello, everyone. Well, it's the first uh, Tuesday of July, and that means the RBA has just met. And uh, Roy, no change today? I thought it was interesting. Um, we, we just did an analysis of the statement, and pretty much 75% of the statement was similar or, or the same as last time, but we get a different result. Well, what were you thinking about it? Oh, look, I think it's a good a- outcome for Australians. I think they've made the right decision. They, it gives them time to uh, assess the impacts. Um, they've obviously painted a pretty narrow pathway to a soft landing, which I tend to think is going to be really hard to pull off given the last couple of tightening. So I think it, it's the wise decision. Let's sit back, watch what how the data plays out and, and let the previous tightenings uh, take shape. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Um, a couple of things that they sort of markets talked about leading into this was the fact that, um, you know, basically the CPI, um, the core CPI had been relatively sticky. And I think the RBA has referred to that a few times outside of the meetings, but there was no mention of the stickiness of core inflation. And this time they also specifically mentioned the monthly CPI where previously they'd been a little bit reticent about talking about that given it's fairly new, but it was a pretty adamant thing that yeah, we see inflation have come off in the monthly CPI. I'm not quite sure why this month was a bit different for that, but but they were the two main sort of things that I, I saw. Either one wasn't in the statement and the other one uh, and the other one was, but made a big deal of for a change. Yeah, and I think that's right, Darren. And I think the other thing that, you know, I sort of pick up on is that this not a lot of I think they're now displaying not a lot of confidence about the outlook for growth. And I think they're probably getting to the stage where they're getting finely balanced between if you know what their outlook for is of inflation and also making sure that you know that we don't head into a recession, which I think is really important. Yeah, it's, it seems to be the the most common thing between both statements was the fact that they've they've again tied sort of future rate hikes or, or pauses as may be the case basically to growth and inflation. So again, we're back to data dependency, which probably makes sense at this stage of the cycle. Uh, I think it, it's pretty hard. Um, their forecasting has been pretty bad to start with, but I think you know when you're at this point of the statement, it's very sorry cycle. It's very hard to um, be have exact forecasting knowledge and being data dependent probably makes a lot of sense. And I think we're seeing that generally with central banks around the world at the moment. Yeah, totally agree. So for this month, since we've got uh, somebody who is obviously an expert more on credit, but has also been around in markets as long as what I have, we thought we'd probably have a look at maybe some of the impacts that higher interest rates are causing on the economy. One of the things we hear in the the news quite a bit, Roy, is that um, you know increased rates generally hurt companies. Banks seem to be doing pretty well out of it. You know, it doesn't seem to have any real big impact on banking sector, but are you starting to see any cracks starting to appear in corporate sector and where in particular? Uh, look, I think, um, you know, there's no doubt that if you think about what, you know, the speed of the rate rises that we've seen, you know, the actual, you know, sectors, there's, there's going to be winners and losers. And, you know, in some ways we were on the right side of this um, in our thinking that we always thought inflation was going to come pretty hard. We obviously didn't factor in Ukraine, but we had sort of this def- defensive mindset. So we're sort of, it's pretty obvious, but we, we had a, you know, we had definitely a view that we wanted to avoid the consumer even more so now that we, if we think that the central banks tighten more aggressively than what was required, which we think, you know, for myself, I think the last two tightenings has sort of pushed that, you know, consumer on the edge of that cliff that everyone's talking about. And 
So from a consumer point of view, you know, there will be winners and losers even in the consumer sector. And I think that's what's going to be really interesting about the market going forward. It doesn't matter if it's credit, equities, you know, there is definitely going to be some sectors of the consumer market that are going to do well, but there's going to be other parts of the of the consumer that is going to, you know, experience a uh, significant decline in sales. And look, you know, we monitor this obviously very closely and, um, you know, there's no doubt the beginning of 2023, January, February, March was, you know, a pretty buoyant period, uh, you know, especially for Melburnians that have been locked up for uh, you know, the last couple of summers uh, due to COVID. But, you know, we we definitely saw some really strong numbers there, but it's very evident in the data that we're looking and, and that we're receiving from companies that the second quarter of 2023, particularly the latter part of the quarter, we've seen a significant drop in sales and the consumer starting to wind, wind back uh, their spending. And it's obvious because obviously the amount of increase in interest rates has uh, meant that their interest burden on mortgages has just risen alarmingly in such a short period of time. Yeah, I mean, we've seen some relatively, I guess, strong numbers still coming through from sales, but a lot of it is really just the inflation component that's coming through. The actual volume of sales appears to be dropping and, you know, you, you're starting to see more and more news articles from some of the bigger consumer um, companies like JB Hi-Fi and, and things like that where they're, they're not quite as happy as what they were. I mean, are there any sectors where you think there's sort of a, a benefit to higher interest rates rather oh, look, than losers? Yeah, look, I think there's um, there's the, obviously the mining sector. Um, obviously hard to get credit exposure to the mining sector, but, you know, they've obviously been very big beneficiaries of, um, you know, higher highest uh, volumes, higher commodity prices, but also the services sector that support the mining sector. Obviously, you know, the rail and the movement of uh, these goods is also an area that we think is uh, going to hold up very well. Also insurance. Insurance is going to be, you know, is one sector we're quite happy to add in this environment and probably fits our defensive mindset in that premiums are rising. Yes, the cost of goods and uh, repair and replacement has risen. But also, you know, the as we know, you know, insurance companies have been a bit more defensive in their investment uh, style and in, in, in managing the money that they have on balance sheet. And so, obviously, the, as rates rise, the returns from those investments also, you know, adds to their profit margin. And and uh, we think insurance sector is probably one sector that we want to have a little bit more exposure to. So yeah, the, sort of avoid the consumer uh, and uh, try and pick the winners. Yeah, I was going to say with the the insurers, they they get a, a double benefit that they're finally earning a bit of income on their their assets, but they're also able to put through premium increases due to inflation. So they're they're probably doing better than a lot of people out of this environment, and uh, although they struggle for some years, but uh, yeah, and it's, a pretty, it's and a pretty captive and a pretty captive audience. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> It's hard to avoid insurance. Yeah. I guess we, we talk about the banks a lot and one of the fears um, with the banking system, you know, is obviously they're heavily exposed to uh, mortgages. We have seen arrears start to pick up, but we haven't really seen arrears pick up to a point where, you know, we'd start to worry about it. Where do you think the worrying signs are going to come for lenders you know, in the next couple of months? Yeah, look, uh, the analysis that we do uh, doesn't matter if it's on a you know a major bank, a regional bank, uh, an RMBS structure. We always look at the downside risk, and one of the things that you know, even yes, you're right. There's there's no doubt the historical lows we've seen in arrears um, is not going to you know they're starting to rise. There's no doubt, but you know, obviously, we think the worst is still ahead, right? So, but you look at the sort of capacity for banks to actually absorb those losses or work with the customers to actually find outcomes and I don't think I've ever seen bank balance sheets in you know better shape to handle that change now 
yeah, particularly major banks, yeah, they're running somewhere, you know, close to nearly 20%, 19.5 total capital. So, you know, when you, when you look at, you know, their, you know, break up their mortgage book and, and sort of think about how much uh, exposure and how, you know, what can, if, what can go wrong, even if you sort of write off their high risk loans, and I'm talking about writing the loans off, not even getting any recovery in the sale of the asset. So if you look at you know any of the mortgages with a you know dynamic LVR of above eighty percent, it's sort of only a a three point two billion dollar hit to their actual um, balance sheet, which you know as we know their current NPAT per half for the CBA is around five and a half billion. So things need to go terribly, terribly wrong for banks to start to wear significant losses in their, in their mortgage. Book. And, and that's the way it should be because they're the highest quality lenders, right? So that's where we we get a lot of comfort and very, given our defensive mindset, we're very happy to be there. Yeah, I guess some of the other really comforting things, are, you know, it's ever comforting with people you know, losing their homes and things like that, but employment's still relatively strong. And even if it weakens like the RBA expects it to, we're, we're sort of going back to what we probably were in the in the mid-2000s, sorry, mid-2010s. So sort of, you know, more around that four and a half to five percent level of unemployment which is not great but it's also not dire and i guess the other the other thing is we actually are starting to see house prices pick up something that it seems to be more a, a supply demand factor but uh, i'm not expecting a really big rebound in, in in prices and i don't think anybody really is but you know just the mere fact that even if houses go sideways for the next couple of years it probably means that if they do see a bit of forced selling in the market it's not too bad an outcome in terms of recoveries for, for housing. No, that's correct. And, you know, the amount of immigration, people coming into the country is at record levels. And uh, as we know, with the building industry at the moment, it's hard to have a lot of confidence about builders. And uh, and therefore, we know the supply of housing you know, is going to take a while to pick up. So we sort of see that in that sort of deficit and that's going to be supportive of prices. Um, so... That's why I don't see a lot of downside risk. I mean, there's obviously, I think there's going to be other segments of the market that we're monitoring very closely. There's obviously uh, lenders out there that uh, are you know, providing consumer finance, personal, you know, personal loans, car loans, and uh, and you know, there's no doubt that you know we're going to see that area of the market's going to be where we see higher arrears and probably coming through a lot quicker, especially given that, you know, we as, as we know, Darren, that the fixed rate uh, mortgage market that people borrowed from the central bank at, uh, you know, all the banks were able to lend out at sub 2% for three years, but that cliff's starting to take place and it's going to play out over the next nine months. So we, we sort of see that sort of high, higher risk lending is probably where you're going to see the first signs of uh, significant arrears arising. That being said, the market is probably for those types of credits. The market's already a price that risk of higher arrears, and and most of those companies have pretty um, well capitalised balance sheets. So once again, you know, you mentioned earlier, unemployment's the key. Long as we keep people employed, you know, banks will be, and and lenders will be able to work with their customers to get through this. Yeah, I think it's been interesting the last few days in the press. There's been a few uh, fairly negative articles on. Uh, rising arrears in in non-bank um, lending. We know from ourselves that those those sort of lenders generally go for the when I say more risky borrowers, more risky than what the the main banks do. They're not really risky borrowers per se. But you know, even the arrears though that we're seeing in the non-banking space is still not what I would call terrifyingly high. Yes, they've increased, but they're still nowhere near a level that we would say is distressed in, in any way, shape or form and still significantly below the, the 1990s experience when there there was probably a small amount of mortgage stress around at the time. 
Uh, what are your feeling around some of those non-bank lenders? Are their business models still sound or are they going to struggle from here? I think it depends on which which uh, name you look at. Um, you know, we obviously, without naming names, we obviously look at you know quite a few companies that um, are in that space. As I say, though, the credit spread has moved out significantly. But you know, even some of the regional banks and and some of the more higher risk. You know, I'll, I'll pick out a deal recently. Um, Judo Bank raised some sub debt with a yield, a remarkable yield of just over nine percent. And you know, when we look at that balance sheet, they have nearly yes, they are lending to higher risk SMEs, but at the end of the day, they still have 90% capital on their on their balance sheet. And in this sort of economic environment, it's hard to, to see how they're going to grow and reduce that capital. So so there is a lot of buffers in the system. And I think that's what gives us a lot of confidence. And, you know, for me to add, you know, and I'm, I'm sort of almost waiting for the moment to change our mindset from being defensive to adding risk. I just want to see more visibility on that sort of pathway that the RBA is going to be at close to finishing um, and that uh, yeah, we can somehow get that soft landing that we're all hoping for. It's hard to believe that uh, yeah, a 9% yield compared to what we were seeing two years ago. Uh, it, it sounds pretty pretty impressive. And, and I mean, you know, I think that's the, the main thing you sort of say is that you know, there is some compensation for risk now where two years ago, you know, risk was basically being priced for free. And I think that's one of the more healthy things that we're actually seeing not just in credit markets, but in interest rate markets in general. Yeah, it's a key word. And I think, um, you know, bonds, uh, credit lost their defensiveness in some way, you know, well, probably over the last five years. And, you know, what uh, what's happened with inflation coming on and, you know, it's returned credit and traditional fixed income bonds and semis, uh, you know, it's returned that defensiveness to them. And you need something to go horribly wrong before you start to talk about negative returns, particularly in sort of floating rate credit with, that we sort of focus on. Yeah, I still worry that if the RVA keeps going, that they're going to cause that horribly, uh, horrible outcome to happen. But uh, so far, um, you know, this month at least, they they seem to be uh, holding the powder dry a bit. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's really the key. I think a soft landing now is going to be really difficult, and I think we're probably going to still see a more normal business cycle over the next couple of years. But I think whether central banks globally start to pause on interest rates now rather than continue to go at the rate they've been going is going to really depend, you know, or really have a big outcome on what happens in the next couple of years. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I think it's, um, yeah, from my perspective, it's, uh, you know, it, it's an opportunity, uh, this type of market. And, um, you know, I, I think it's, you know, give me today compared to sort of two years ago where I can sort of find value and sort of generate alpha in the in the credit space. Um, it's an exciting time for us. Not to mention we actually get paid income. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. You and I have both been around for a, a very long time, probably longer than most of our listeners. Has there been anything different about this rate cycle? I mean, we've probably seen, what, three, four full rate cycles over our careers. I mean, has there been something about this one that you, you think is a little bit different to previous ones? Uh, look, I think there's a couple of things. And, um, you know, I think first of all, from a credit point of view, normally when you head into this type of cycle, it's a period where balance sheets are at their worst. And and what's really confusing, you sort of look at this sort of clock of where you go, you know, you want to be buying credit here, not buying here and selling there. And, and sort of from my perspective, you know, 
This is quite a unique period because when central banks are raising rates around the world like they have, generally balance sheets are in the, at their worst and um, and you'd be starting to get worried about credit. It's quite the contrary this time and, you know, and in some ways it's because this tightening cycle has come straight on the back of the pandemic where we know that the government of Australia threw a hell of a lot of money at the economy and there was a lot of companies that were true beneficiaries of that and they were able to pay down debt, delever. And in some ways, post the pandemic, they haven't really had the chance to actually, you know, return that money, excess money to shareholders or, or re-gear the balance sheet via acquisitions or, or vice versa. So, but also companies that, you know, probably weren't the beneficiaries of the pandemic, Ray, because they were so scared of what potentially could happen at the start of the pandemic, they repaired their balance sheets uh, by raising equity. So we have this sort of Nirvana period where we're actually getting balance sheets surrounding this period. Yes, the outlook doesn't look great in some aspects, but we actually have balance sheets in really good shape and we're getting paid to take that sort of risk, which is sort of one of the, you know, I'm sort of getting half itchy about adding risk, you know, and in some ways I just want to see that that the RBA stop. Um, So from my perspective, you know, that is something that's not normal. Um, normally, I'd be I'd, at the moment. I'd be pretty, you know, worried during a, a rate tightening cycle that balance sheets won't be able to cope with the, uh, especially the the amount of rate rises in such short a period of time that we're seeing. I think the other thing that been different this time is the lack of consistency from the RBA, and I know you've touched that over the over many episodes on the uh, rate debate. You know, I think that's been totally confusing this time for me. And I think probably the last thing that is probably a bit different about this cycle is that I'm sort of getting the feeling that a lot of participants in the market sort of have this sort of feeling that we're going to go back to an interest. You know, the RBA Fed's going to come back and rescue whether it be the equity markets or credit markets, and they're going to return you know, back to a low interest rate environment. I just sort of think that we're sort of almost at the sort of preposition of sort of a new regime. And you know, we have to be thinking about who's going to be the beneficiaries and what's the, the sort of next five to 10 years look like. And you know, I think that's um, potentially the winners of the baby boomers. But we know that the sort of the mid-ground, the, the, the sort of 25 to 45-year-olds or 50-year-olds are are definitely going to be, you know, in that sort of bracket where they're going to really, you know, sort of stage of the cycle is going to set them back for years. So, so how do you invest and, and sort of, you know, pick those winners and losers, I think is going to be really important on how you add returns in your portfolios. Yeah, I think one of the, the things that is probably a common element of previous rate hiking cycles is has it been more the banking system that's um, been the issue in 2009, you know, we, we had probably the biggest um, banking collapses of, of our entire careers. But, but even the cycles of the 80s and 90s were characterized by problems in banking systems, just not quite as systemic as what they were. As this we time, know, it's really... It's the bonds and uh, the bell groups. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we had a lot of corporate collapses back in the, the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, and, um, which yeah. a lot came from irresponsible lending to quite a, <laughs> Correct. To a, quite a degree. Where this time around, it really seems to be focused very much on the consumer, but also governments. I think if we look around the world, we call it a risk-free asset, but there probably are governments around the world that you would no longer call really risk-free. I mean, they, they are probably at risk. And that's something we haven't probably seen before. We probably had a, a bit of an element just, just after the GFC with Europe getting itself into problems, but we haven't really seen you know a significant sovereign problem. And that, that seems to me that we haven't really learnt a lot of lessons that it's just really been we've transferred all the risk from the banks to to world governments. But 
you know, whether that plays out that way, it depends. But I think you're right. We need to stop having the situation where central banks protect everybody from from their bad mistakes and that eventually somebody has to sort of uh, at least stand up and say, you know, I made a mistake and I'm going to wear it. But whether that be equity markets or bond markets or wherever that happens, whether that comes to fruition, whether central banks can step back and let markets behave themselves how they should, I don't know, but it'll be interesting to see. <laughs> yeah, look, we, we continually ask ourselves uh, as a team, you know, what can go wrong? What are we missing? Or, you know, what could actually change the outlook in the near term? And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, you, you touched on, you know, government debt. And uh, obviously, when we look at Australia and the states and Yes, we we you know, we've increased our borrowing dramatically, but we're still in you know good shape compared to a lot of other countries. And as we've just seen, that you know that you know obviously the budget surplus is uh, heading towards twenty billion. Um, it's not going to stay there, but it just shows that we, in some ways, we do have a bit of firepower to actually throw at the economy if we do from a fiscal stance. Well, that's it for this month. Uh, thank you for joining us, Roy. Thank you, Darren. It's been truly exciting and I can't wait to go, come back on uh, at another date. Tune in next month when we'll be joined by uh, Phil Serrano, our Head of Credit, to help deliver our latest thoughts on the RBA's August rate decision and provide an update on what's happening in markets. If you ever want to suggest topics to us, um, we can be contacted at the rate debate at yarracm.com. The Rate Debate podcast content may contain general advice. Before acting on anything in this podcast, you should consider your own objectives, financial situation or needs, and seek the advice of an appropriately qualified financial advisor.